Well, Jordan, how are you today? I am well. How are you? Yeah, I don't have too much to complain about. I mean, I can find things to complain about, but I don't have really anything okay. that I should complain about. Okay, okay. But uh, It's a nice fall day today. It's uh, October 3rd. Yeah. This is the Mind Virus Show. We made it through September. September is one of my favorite months for lots of different reasons, but... I do enjoy October. You get the leaves changing, you get the temperature cooling down, but generally, at least here in in the Rocky Mountains, October, it's cooler than the summer, but it usually doesn't get super cold, so it's a a really nice time of year. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice time to be outside taking a walk. Um, But I was inside watching The Chosen this week. Good, good. Watch both seasons. Which aren't, they aren't really that long. So, you know, if you're binging Jesus, as they call it, <laughs> on their t-shirts, you know, it's, it's a meal. <laughs> you know, it's a pretty good, I mean, I've definitely done worse binges on worse material. It's not going to make you want to start wearing a cross necklace, is it? Well, I, you know, I would never dream of doing that. Uh, what a blasphemy. I, no, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> if you feel like wearing a cross necklace, I have no problem with it. Um, wh- why, do you, why do you say that, Bobby Flood? Well, I just because it's very evan- kind of evangelical. It's favorite. just a regular Christian thing, isn't it? So, did, did you, so, what, so you, last week we talked about, about it a little bit. You had watched the first episode. And you had some historical quibbles okay and, okay and, let me and, let me let me talk about that but i can i can i jump in or did you have a really important well thing? i was just gonna say like no no i didn't i never really have anything too important to say <laughs> but i just i guess i'm gonna say so you watched we we talked a bit last week about the first episode right you've watched all the rest which there's two seasons do do those did those quibbles or uh uh problems did it pan out or yeah yeah but look it's it's not really relevant. See, what I, the fatal flaw in marketing, I have this note on my monitor or used to from way back when I was uh, actually trying to uh, do something productive with my life. <laughs> okay, that, don't, don't read too much into that comment. <laughs> I am trying. I had this note on my monitor that said, the fatal flaw in marketing is to believe that everyone thinks like you do. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I was overly zealous. We, we learned a little <laughs> bit about the zealots in this episode. Yeah. I think it was a little overly zealous. I've, I forgot, I've forgotten that most people don't view it the way I do. And, you know, I jumped into some, some things that I think should be obvious to the Christian world. I think that there's been, and this is what's so important about what Joseph Smith restored, is that Christianity is not what it has become <laughs> and there's so much there's so much unbelief which i would define as 
incorrect belief there and, and if you listen to the cosmology podcast and and my definition of faith which i think is a pretty good rendition or translation of hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 if if you look at all that um and you're willing to change your mind and and really look for uh, a better interpretation or a better understanding of the context of christianity meaning what we have in the biblical record at a minimum you can see that 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 uh the traditional um the traditional lay of the land, the traditional paradigm is not quite right. And a lot of scholars end up losing their faith over this when they realize the biblical record is a little messed up and that the traditional interpretations of the biblical record are messed up. And so when we jumped into that conversation, I failed to remember that not everybody thinks like me. And you reminded me of that. And you said, <laughs> you're like, but then it would be boring, you know? And it's like, well, well yeah, you're right. Because they, but they do need a history lesson to get to the cool stuff. But, but the, all of that having been said, uh, and I have some things to talk about. I'd love to talk about it again today if you want to or whatever you want to talk about. But, but it is excellent. I see why you like it. I liked it. I really liked The Chosen. It's all right in a, in a, it's all good in so many ways, and then it's all wrong in so many ways. <laughs> it's, but the ways that they got it right make it just make it this lovable cast of people. You want to continue watching to see what's going to happen, even though you already know what the what the biblical record says. But then uh, somebody like me who's spent some time on it, and I'm not sure that we care to or want to have a, a series of. Jordan Bruno teaches the New Testament here on the podcast. That was never the the point. I don't know. And you and you and I've you know I've studied a lot or independently, and we've also talked a lot together. We've never really studied together, but you kind of know some of the thoughts on my mind. And so you, Bobby, right? And then I don't even know who the listeners are out there really that are the listening listening to this. Whether they want to hear the differences of opinion I have about traditional Christianity, but. Uh, I think there are some very important things that make the story even more savory, but also um, they would be very much unpalatable to the audience because the, the, this is the, one of the most well-known stories. And tell Harry Potter, this was the most well-known story. <laughs> and now that we're past Harry Potter and into the Avengers, it's the third most well-known story in the world, which is the story of Jesus. Am I wrong? Guys, in the comments, tell me whether I'm wrong about that because I really think Harry Potter was the big one. It, it was at the end of the age, and then we got the New Age story of the inversion of the, of the hero's journey, which was the Avengers material. And now, and, and really, ever since that took off, the world has societally collapsed. Our, our, our minds have collapsed, and that's how you break society, is you break the minds of the people. So, so uh, anyway, getting back to the chosen stuff, I know I'm going on and on and on again here. You want a word in. To sum up, Great storytelling. You're, you're the film guy, and you know that, and you're more well-qualified than me to say that. They, they were awesome with who they picked how they, and how those guys interact. And um, telling, telling the story the way they see it, uh, it's, it's super endearing. The characters are, are endearing. The Jesus figure is a, such a likable fellow. Uh, you know, the way he portrays Jesus. And he's also, you know, 
I'm not saying that I think that's really exactly how Jesus is, but they, for for all uh, intents and purposes, they made a one of the probably the best attempt that I've ever seen in film to capture him. But you know, I wonder where it's going. I, the, it ends with him <clears throat> stepping out to give the the Sermon on the Mount, which is funny because they've built a stage for him, <laughs> and he's sort of a rock star. I mean, at this point, so, so anyway, I don't know how much you want to talk about it. I've got a lot to say about it and I don't know if you want to hear some of my uh, concerns about it or what, what I thought was good about it. I don't, I don't know what you want to talk about, but I, I thought they did a great job and I can see why you like it. And I have to uh, consider the fact that most people don't think like I do. And when I launched into the whole, well, they got this all wrong and that all wrong. And it's like, no, you're yes. If I'm right, yes, they got it all wrong, <laughs> but but they're telling us fictional. It is somewhat of a fictional story. It, it, it's a historical fiction. It, it, not just somewhat. It is historical fiction because even the Bible we should consider um, not to be the Bible truth <laughs> unless you know unless it's actually correct. History. Uh, it's a good question. Is what is history? Right. I had a teacher one time that uh, had was teaching uh, constitutional studies. You know, the origin of the the United States government and the American experiment. And he starts off in his first talk, and I've linked to this guy before, Stephen Pratt. He has a series called Know Your Liberty. He's really great, and he's passed on now. But he he starts off talking about what is history, and he got a he somehow got hold of a survey. Uh, teachers had given out to kids where they asked for their answers and the kids would say, well, it's what happened or it's just dates or facts or uh, it's the truth or whatever. And then one kid writes down, well, it's just one damn thing after another. (laughs) (laughs) And and he's like, look, history is not what happened. It is what we perceive happened. It is is evidence of what happened accompanied by... (laughs) accompanied by reason and debate. So just because we have the biblical record doesn't mean it's actually what happened. It's evidence of what happened. And we must reason that through, and then we can debate it and talk about it. And, there, and the interesting thing about the Bible is that there are other stories of what happened that didn't make it into the canon that have survived. That's the part that gives us the opportunity to debate and reason out what might have happened, and also, additionally, what were the teachings of Jesus. So uh, from the monologue ending now, <laughs> from the traditional perspective, they were faithful to what's commonly understood, and, they, and it's definitely fictional dialogue, and, and they, they give different, uh, some, some, some of the attributes seem to be based on his, history or what they think is history, or, or remember, what is history? Evidence, right? It's one damn thing after another. one damn thing after another. They, uh, they've, they've done a great job crafting this, this fictional story around what everyone perceives to be real events, or, or a lot of people perceive to be real events, and uh, uh, it's very endearing, and I'm glad I watched it, uh, but I do think that it's dangerous in certain ways because it's so endearing, you know? Well, the, the danger, one of the dangers is that people will latch on to certain, certain things portrayed in the series, and treated as fact or doctrine or i mean we we lds love to do that right like with 
our own our own movies like Legacy or uh, oh yeah the, what's the or the Temple movie <laughs> where we started to put emotion into it right or the what's the 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 Testaments you know the, yeah the Testaments that was a great show it was okay I thought it was great at the time I thought it was great yeah, at I the haven't time, seen it in a while but when <laughs> doesn't the guy end up blind and then the Lord yes heals him so. that that was pretty awesome i thought you know I, and and the and the stuff in this uh uh the chosen series where the lord is healing people it, just the, uh, just seeing him doing that and the, the, there was one episode where he's been healing people all day right and he's worn out and he's worn out that is like incredibly touching <laughs> he I like the way they did that. He walks across. It's nighttime. They're all, they're all fighting. They're kind of bickering and yeah, arguing. They're, they're really fighting. Around the campfire. He walks by and he just says, good night. He's <laughs> well, kind of, he, you could tell he's... He's exhausted, right? He's stumbling and stuff, but he's, he's, he still manages kind of a cheerful, good night. And then he, he just crawls into his tent. Yeah. And it, it, it disarms the, the bickering and the fighting because they realize... What's more important? Yeah, here. he's completely exhausted, and his his good night is very clearly. Uh, I am almost mortally wounded, but yeah, love you guys. Good night. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, I'm glad you watched it. It it it's like like I said last week. I think it's the by far the best depiction of of Jesus on on TV or cinema. Like by far. I don't know of any other that even come close to capturing the, you know, the the personality of all of those characters. They give him personality, and and that's the that's one of the dangers. But but what's great is they make him lovable. They make him yeah. They're not. They, he doesn't come across as a weirdo or someone that's just stale or. No, I mean, un, un understandable or un, you can understand. Lovable is the wrong word. Likeable. They make him right. very like like you would want to be around this yeah, guy. I think they, there's a great scene, and and maybe I should address TBM's comment on the website. But there's a great scene, yeah, where he where Jesus is is uh, brought in for questioning to the Roman. Uh, Quintus, what's his which title? Which is a non-existent character, R- right? This just, is a non-historical thing, which is fine. All like, of the interactions with the with the magistrate of Capernaum, the guy that's the uh, what's what, <coughs> he's the Dolores Umbridge of Capernaum. What's a better regional dictator? He's, he's in, in in film or movies or or sorry, movies or literature. Uh, I don't know. He's uh, he's the principal Skinner of uh, <laughs> Capernaum. He's uh, he's more conniving than principal Skinner. But... I know, but you know what I mean, right? Like some this this local authority has been imposed here yeah. that didn't exist, and they keep calling the Roman guards officers, and the Roman guards are everywhere. This is not Judea of Jesus' time. This is this is our world superimposed on <laughs> sure, their world. Sure. What what uh, what's funny is I was uh, talking to talking to uh, our friend Truman who did the podcast with us, with, us, with us a while back, and he's like, no, no, no. The problem is our world is way worse than theirs was. <laughs> theirs was more free, and they crucified right. Jesus, and we are living in Orwell's 1984, and we don't even see it. We're we're the ones paying the high taxes. They paid very little tax compared to the. And we've talked about this: how you you turn on your gas, you're paying tax. You look at your phone, you're paying tax. Every single one of your bills comes with this tax right. stacked in. Your taxes are almost as bad as the Nephites were when they were captive to the Lamanites. 
you're paying almost 50% tax, even if, you know, if you're making any money at all in your middle class or whatever, and you pay some income tax, it's going to be close to, you know, 30, 40, 50% with all the gas taxes and all the, all the taxes that are slipped in that you don't see, which is 30% more than they paid, than the Nephites paid under wicked King Noah, who only wanted 20% total. Right. Right. And the Romans weren't that bad. That's how they maintained supremacy for so many centuries. <clears throat> so TBM on the, on the website says, Bobby, the reason why it matters if Rome was a good empire versus ancient Nazis is because of how it fits into the narrative. If the narrative is that Jesus was just a chill hippie dude who taught us to be nice, but definitely wasn't a god, and of course never made at one mint for us, and absolutely was never resurrected because miracles don't really happen because science, then Jesus needs to have something more distinctive about him than just being a nice guy, since there's a lot of nice guys out there. So what they need and want is for Jesus to be the start of a proletariat revolution, and this revolution needs an enemy. And the enemy can be the Jews of Jesus' day, since that would be anti-Semitic. So the narrative needs Rome to be ancient Nazis. So I, I understand that, but I don't think that's what the Chosen portrays. I think that's what TBM is saying. Well, I couldn't tell if he was saying that's what the Chosen is doing or not. But I just wanted to say I, I, I like that analysis, but I don't think it's what the Chosen... They don't portray Jesus as a hippie dude. And they don't necessarily portray Rome as the evil empire enemies. They're just kind of there. Okay. They're, they're a constant no, kind see, of I, background I disagree. presence. I disagree. I think they're the ancient Nazis, and I think that they're working up to we'll see what they, even more. We'll see, because you, what you, we, we haven't gotten far enough into the story to really see how it all Well, we have a pr- police apart. brutality scene where they show Simon the, the Zealot's young, younger yeah. days and there's a Roman soldier just beating the crap out of a guy for no reason. There's the scene where um, the... And I, I did a little bit of research just to make sure I wasn't off my rocker, but I, I could be missing something here. But I don't think that Jesus was brought in for questioning prior to... He was never like really arrested in the way that they wanted to show him arrested near Capernaum. At least the the gospels right. don't right. mention that. They don't right? mention it. And 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 so they. But he is questioned later on. Yeah, but they're but they're working up a a Quintus versus Quintus is this maniacal. Yeah, uh, <coughs> but there's that figment of their imagination. So getting back to that scene with Jesus and Quintus. Quintus is like, I like you, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, I but that like you. Yeah, but he's like a, a serial yeah, killer. A I know, but it's just interesting that I think the the idea was to portray that Jesus can disarm or uh, kind of he can handle surprise himself. people and handle himself in front of the the worldly authorities or the the elite of the time. Yeah. But there's that scene. I, I almost expected them to lean him up against a car and have him assume the position when they when they capture Jesus there's, for that. There, there's no, like, there was no car. It's like take a step back, ten cubits. You know, which of your yeah, declare I mean, who's armed. It's like you're but surrounded that's all. by more by uh, uh, Roman soldiers. I almost said Mormon soldiers. You're surrounded by <laughs> Roman soldiers, and and that's all part of the liberties that they took. Well, yeah, but that's that's sup- that's the wrong way to look at scripture. They're superimposing our values in our worldview on the ancient worldview 
which, which means they've totally missed the context, which was my big problem here. And that means we misunderstand what happened because we don't know the context. Right. Uh, we, we, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. But they have to do something, right, to fill in the story, to make a good storytelling. So Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that's, the, it's, ex, it's amazing storytelling. It's definitely relatable, for sure. Excellent storytelling. And I, I, I'm just saying, is the story helping or hurting in certain ways? When TBM says Jesus was a chill hippie, I also would disagree with you. I think that's what they're trying to show him is as a hippie. And let me explain why. Because he's out living in the, uh, he's camping out, right? Right. He traveled. He, didn't, he doesn't seem to have a home. Mary seems to be sort of uh, destitute, you know, didn't have a lot of, lot his, of money. His mother, Mary? Yeah. There, there's a work we've quoted here on the podcast which was uh, the Proto-Evangelium of James, the, pre- mm-hmm. the, the infancy gospel of James that, te- that tells of Mary growing up in the temple. She was a highly regarded woman, at least according to that material, mm-hmm. and w- would have been well cared for um, by, by, the, uh, by, by her family and then uh, the religious cult. I'm using that word in a... In a scholarly sense right. you know the religious the probably an essene uh cult and then by joseph later on when when uh, she was given to him for him to be her guardian which is the way i read that and we we've talked about this haven't we i think there i yeah. think we we mentioned this on the podcast so so it's like jesus is sort of homeless and I love how he's a fix-all type of a guy, you know, and, and the, one of the scenes they have him jacking up the car, working on the underside of the car. It's like, that is not, <laughs> that is so 20th century, 21st century. It's like, it's okay. It's, it's great. It's a cart, not a car. It's a car. You, you don't do that with a cart. You flip the cart on its side and you fix it however you want. Yeah. But, but he's, they've jacked it up and he's lying in the dirt to fix the axle of the cart. And it's, it's so 20th century. Right. But it's also, again, they were making the point that... He could fix he stuff. Could, he was a trained craftsman and he... But not only that, he's the guy... What they're saying is he's the guy that would stop and help you on the side of the road. Right. Which is true, I think. Right. But, he, but this is the problem. Is he a chill hippie dude? Like, like mm, TBM's pointing out? Not, I, I'm saying he had a home. He probably left his home. And this is, the, this is another problem with... With uh, Peter and uh, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Those guys, if you'll read John Hall's, Dr. John Hall's uh, New Testament Witnesses of Christ, I believe in, 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 it's in that book that he lays out the idea that Peter was probably the fishing, uh, the, the, the business partner of Zebedee, or Zebedee, okay? They probably had a fleet of boats. They had homes that were well the, 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 and the, the really um, and they pretty nicely apportioned. Yeah. We, we, we see these uh, sets that they build and they make it look like they were living in more poverty than I think they were. I think they had more... They, had a de- they have a decent house there. Peter does. Yeah, but I think the they show. had a nicer home. Like, like remember Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. Nice. They, they, they've been there. They were in that part of the world for thousands of years. I right. think they had nicer things than that were... Car- like, think of your nice furniture. 
that has nice straight edges or whatever. I think they were at least approaching that because they had tools. They had lived there for a long time. These were families that had inherited fine things from each other. And so when you've got these, these sort of wooden doors that are warpy and slatted and don't shut right. I mean, when, when they showed Jesus making that lock, I, that, you know, like Matthew's home, most people's homes probably looked like Matthew's home is my guess. Right. And instead of ho- hovels, and uh, so, so Peter, they, they act like none of these guys knew each other. Peter was probably cousins with John and James. No, they, okay. they show Peter, James, and John, and Zebedee. But Salome. They, they, they know each other. Salome was probably Mary's sister, which means Jesus was James and John's cousin. And they would have known Peter. The, the, and Peter was married. And James and John were probably married. And Matthew was probably married. Instead of this being a big singles camp EFY type of a situation, this was probably a bunch of people who were were very established, who had lots of a lot to lose. This is the this is the part of the context that I think right. is is significant because it's like it's like you or your bishop. Let's say you're in your mid thirties or forties, and you've got a great job, and you've got it all together, and you've got a boat. You've got uh, a trailer or whatever. You've, you're going on vacations, and the Lord says, "Come follow me." That's that's Peter. That's James and John. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to lose. That's that is Ma- Matthew's kind of the only one in the story that uh, that looks like that. And and so they probably had the ability to go on a little because because the tax the tax thing is so odd because it's like well if they stop working they're going to lose everything and it's like. No, they, they probably didn't have the type of, in, of property taxes you have in, say, Utah or Salt Lake County. They probably weren't in danger of losing their home by not paying their yearly property tax. They probably could have left their homes for two years and come back and have expected it to be in reasonably good condition, it, or if they had somebody at least looking after it to make sure it wasn't you know, ransacked by the, the neighbors or whatever. But there was they thought of property rights differently. Like we, we're renting from the government. We're in a neo-feudalist system. <laughs> right. They probably had better control over their property and it was handed down generation over generation, you know? And so Peter and James and John were all probably married. Jesus was probably married. It wasn't the, the singles camp. It wasn't a bunch of hippies. They probably did stay at friends' homes or they maybe camped out from time to time. But they show them as these itinerant preachers when in reality it would be like you, the average Joe listening to um, the Mind Virus show, going on vacation. If you were going to Denver to preach, what would you do? Would you walk there? No, you'd take your car and you'd get a hotel or you'd try to stay with friends or you'd get a VRBO or an or a Airbnb and you'd arrange a hotel or a venue to speak at, and you'd, you might advertise a little bit, but, and I think the, the advertising was interesting when they're, when they're uh, getting ready for the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but I don't, I don't know that they passed out handbills. I think that the notoriety of, of Jesus spread. It was like, hey, he's going to be teaching tomorrow in this location, and he just gets 5,000 people, you know? I think that it was after, after the healings in, in Samaria, 
his when he decided you know the the it was it was great how they portrayed that my time has not yet come he does the the water into wine at the wedding and it's like okay game on and and, and when he heals he, he begins his ministry starts to heal this guy every, everything good that you can find in this uh this character that you see in the jesus of the chosen multiply that by a thousand that's jesus of nazareth right i think he was an incredibly um respected uh commanding also kind and likable person that uh had probably traveled the the known world which would be the mediterranean world because there are legends of him having been all as far northwest as England. Mm-hmm. And he was probably from, he probably had enough famili- familial and societal support that it didn't look like it's portrayed in all the movies, including The Chosen. And so that's just, that's just context that I think is important. And that's where I think TBM's coming from with the chill hippie. Well, I'm adding color to it. I'm adding my color. Right. TBM, you're going to have to weigh in and well, tell I, us if, if I think that's we, what you I think meant. the term hippie nowadays is... is it's been contaminated or yeah. Like what is a hippie that we got to define terms. You're right. Right. You're right, Bobby. What am I thinking? He wasn't a, a like, sometimes you think of hippies now, it's like a, a unemployed degenerate or something. Well, a homeless person. Yeah. Even, well, a homeless person and a hippie, I think are two different things too, but yeah, I got, but that's the way I think people see hippies yeah. now. And you're right. The hippie movement is now running the government and <laughs> has well, doing such a good everything. job. Such a good job. <laughs> Everything is going so good in our in our world today. They're the university professors, you know. Right. The counterculture became the culture, and now the counterculture is the the freedom liberty movement. <laughs> yeah. Now the the punk rockers and the counterculture are the people who are having kids and and a, and have a steady job and want a stable society. <laughs> right. Want truth. <clears throat> Well, I'm glad you watched it. I, I I enjoyed it. Like like I said, any any movie, any TV series you can find, especially something historical or or historical fiction, you can find problems with. Um, but uh, I think they did a great job, and and they've got a big task ahead of them to, to follow up with season three. Now, and I've heard that they're getting input from different various different religious scholars, which I I think's a a bad idea. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. There's tr- there's the traditional religious scholars, and then there's the fringe ones, and they're whatever. So there's a wide range that they could be getting input from. Yeah, and I, but I, I can see why everybody wants a piece of them. It's exciting. It's it's the, right. It's the cool thing. What I what I, the problem is though is if it starts to become committeeized, then you're trying to please everybody and ended up something with really watered down or bland. I, I don't think that this uh, Dallas Jenkins looks like the type of guy that's gonna. Um, let somebody else take his right. I ba- hope so. Baby or brainchild. Although it, he might, he might be the type of guy that would take input from a priesthood leader or a or a church authority and and not go somewhere that he wants to to avoid a doctrinal conundrum or something like maybe. that. He, he might he might soften on something. But so far, it looks to me like he's committed to the traditional ideas. Oh, you know, one other thing that bugged me was. That they sort of had Peter and Matthew and John and James, their beliefs seem to be based on the miracles. And I don't think that's the way it was. I think that signs and miracles follow those that believe, mm-hmm. and that these guys, having known the Lord from a very young age, 
knew who he was. I think they knew who, even though it it wasn't noised abroad in the land, I think there was a group of people that had awaited the Christ, had known it at at his birth, which we've talked about, you know, in the Christmas icons episode, I think. They knew it from, from a very early point, and they kept a close eye yeah. waiting for the for the events to happen. I think Andrew's portrayed more of that type. Like he and Andrew kind of recognized him before. Yeah. And Peter kind of makes fun of him. You're like, because John the Baptist pointed at somebody? Yeah. He pointed <laughs> at him. Yeah. But uh the one thing too is we're still really early in the character arcs of the oh yeah the, yeah. the disciples. Like we None of them have really had, have yet had to prove their uh, loyalty yet. Yeah. They're following along and they're complaining about the road traveling and sleeping in tents and things, but you know they haven't been they haven't been really tested yet. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. <clears throat> this this to sum up. This is really interesting. It's so great. And what makes it so dangerous is what we're doing is we're taking our context and superimposing it on the ancient world, which is sort of, you might call it a reader response type of an understanding of the material. It's what, is the, what, do, what does it evoke in the reader? Mm-hmm. What, the text of it, how does it make you feel? What do you think we should do with it? Rather than an original intent type of a discussion, which right. I think is so important. This is this is typical of the way the world works. If we had uh, an original intent focus on the Constitution, we wouldn't have all the problems we have because the government wouldn't be able to amass the power that it has amassed. But because they think of it as a living Constitution and that they can, oh no, it's good and dead. Well, yeah, but they call it living, meaning they (laughs) They interpret the words. You know, right? Shall not be infringed means we'll make as many laws as we want about your gun rights. Well, yeah, yeah. How how? Of course, that's what it means. Shall not be infringed means infringe on the gun rights. Means it shall be infringed. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the danger with over taking, and over. And that's over. that's the danger with taking your context <clears throat> and imposing it on. Well, yeah, we the do this world. The 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 academic world is doing this big time with you know the founding fathers. They just throw everything out about what they did because they were slave owners. Without ever, mm-hmm. without bothering or 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 deliberately not looking at the context, which you keep bringing up, the context of the of the age. Mm-hmm. But but the chosen may not specifically address some of those things, but it's sparking conversations about those things. And I promise yeah, you, we're not the only people yeah. talking about that TV series. Right, right. Yeah, millions of people are. <clears throat> and what's interesting is it's sort of not talked about in the pop culture circles, even though it's probably one of the biggest things out there right now, which I didn't know about. We're probably the most popular people talking about I'd it. I'd heard about it. I'd heard about it from some <laughs> other friends, but yeah, you're right. We're probably the most popular people talking about it. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I think I just got to give a shout out to Hugh Nibley because this is where he shines is he's saying, look at things in their ancient context. This is why the Book of Mormon is so significant. It needs to be looked at in its Near Eastern context. Mm-hmm. And in his book, the approach to, An Approach to the Book of Mormon, which was the priesthood manual in the 50s for many years, it explains why 
it tries to show you how contextually appropriate the book is. And so you have to know something about the ancient context in order to be able to make a, any sort of a comment on whether it's correct or false or, or might be true or whatever, you know? And so this is why Nibley uh, is such an important guy. He shows us how to do that. And he had the tools. He knew, was able to read the um, Latin, the Greek, the Egyptian, whatever. He knew the languages and could read the materials in their own original languages so he could see what these guys actually meant. And so last week we wanted to talk, we talked a little bit about likening the scriptures to ourselves. And it's interesting because that also can be a trap, right? Like we have, we're likening the scriptures to ourselves here with the chosen, but are we likening the scriptures to ourselves or are we likening ourselves to the scriptures? You see, the the danger here is that if you if you have a reader response type of a an interpretation or a living a living document type of an interta- interpretation where it just means whatever we want it to mean, and we pull it into our context, then we might make a an, a complete inversion of the material. So when you're likening yourself to the scripture, or when you're likening the scriptures to yourself, excuse me. You must be able to put yourself in the ancient context to see what they really mean a- instead of the other way around. And so that's, the, that's the most important thing here in the Jordan Bruno school of theology, whatever we want to call it. So are you saying that the people who, some very prominent people, including the venerable governor of Utah, <laughs> the people who Did you compared— you say venerable and governor of Utah the same, in the same sentence? Yeah, that's that's the 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 mind virus style guide, and also I thought we that were was use the term vegetable. That was the law that he passed, wasn't it? Okay. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But when he, you're saying that he shouldn't have compared masks, wearing masks, COVID masks, to the brass serpent. Correct. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, what about the people who compared? the COVID vaccine, which is safe and effective, to the brass serpent. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Hmm. I, I think I get where you're going now. Yeah. There's a good example <clears throat> of completely missing the boat. What about comparing... <laughs> I'll stop. Well, uh, yeah. And there you have it. I mean... <laughs> And, and there you are. Well, I, and I think that's something that it's really important to kind of try to consciously avoid doing. But I also think it's, it's hard, especially in a storytelling standpoint. Well, I mean, in the ancient world, they would lock people out of cities, quarantine whole cities for plague. It's not, it's not like they didn't do stuff like that. But Well, yeah, I mean, the lepers were sent off to colonies. Yeah, but they could run all over God's green earth. I mean, right? They didn't get locked down in their homes, <laughs> right? <laughs> but mean, it, but a, it's it's a context matters. Context when, matters. But for an, an author, a director, a writer, whatever, the their own biases, the the times of the, you know, the 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 events of the day are always going to leak through, whether they want to or not. They're going to leak through. Sometimes more obviously or, or purposefully than others, but well, we have to when we're whenever we're looking at some historical piece, we've got to recognize we are who we are. We need to bridge bridge the gap, right? There's a gap in understanding. 
you know this because you've talked to your own grandparents. Kids these days, ah, you never had the internet. You know, right. if, you, if you grew up without a cell phone, you have context that your children do not understand. Right. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Those of us that are you know, roughly middle-aged right now that are straddling two worlds can see how the, the world has so dramatically shifted that things, things that uh, might have in the past been more easily understood are now just right out the window. And let me give you an example. In Stranger Things, the kids have walkie-talkies. They needed a replacement for cell phones. And no way, like if that were to play out in reality in the 80s, there's no way those walkie-talkies had that kind of range or had their batteries last that long. Yeah, they, yeah. Or, I mean, that's just, that's just a cheap imitation of the modern cell phone because that's the, it needed to be in the story so these kids could communicate it. Distance. But also in the 80s, if you had like a little walkie-talkie set that was really cool so yeah but it went it, it, it went around the corner it like right but they had like yeah. military grade well these ones go through dimensions i know <laughs> i know but, right they take some liberties but yeah that's a liber- that's a liberty but what what does it do it changes the the context of the whole situation have you ever uh next time you go to somewhere public where there's a lot of people like a no, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, keep going. Like a shopping mall, or uh, I know, I know you love malls. I know you love to, or I, I don't know, even just a grocery store or whatever. Just sit back and, and watch people. And if you were just plopped into our society, <laughs> you would think that a cell WTF? phone. WTF? You'd think that a cell phone is like the only way we know how to get anywhere. Like, because people are always just looking at it. What? All the time, looking at it while they're walking, looking at it while they're, they pay for things with it. They, you would think that somehow like we couldn't Can't exist without it. And I guess that's where we're getting to. Well, the, the controllers do want us to want to force us to not be able to do anything without that. Although I do think they also are pushing for the chip. Um, I guess I'm going to have to link to the Solari Reports uh, webpage on Cash Friday again. She's got a discussion between her and a, so Catherine Austin Fitz has a, a discussion going on between her and a PhD, a, 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 a very credible researcher who researches central banks and money and, and whatnot. And he had talked to a central banker in Europe and said that they want to chip everybody. Like that's really on oh, the yeah. table. They want to chip people. They want, they want to control us. That's, that's like if you've ever seen those animals with tags in their ears, that's you guys. That's where they want to go with this. Well, yeah, we've we've, it's a real thing. we've talked a lot about the CBDC, central bank digital currencies. Those are still being pushed. Like, just because we haven't talked about the end of the world over the last couple of weeks doesn't mean it's still not <laughs> spiraling out of control. We're we we're just burying our heads in the sand. Well, here, we're on hoping the, for a savior. We could we could <laughs> we could legitimately be yep. on the brink of like a hot World War Three, like a nuclear war yeah i mean it's there's definitely people beating the drums of war who want this to happen why do they want it to happen well you know that's that's uh that's uh open for debate you had the Nord Stream pipeline sabotaged and there's different theories about who did that people are saying the russians did it i don't know why they'd go all the way to poland to blow up their own pipeline yeah if you believe that <clears throat> 
I read one All article they had to do was turn the freaking pipeline off, which they did. Right. I read one article that they the theory is that it was the Davos people that did it. Meaning, was this the Luongo, uh, Tom Luongo analysis? Yeah, yeah. that did was an interesting that? article. I read that. Yeah, he said he he said the Davos people were able to get the neocon establishment out of the U.S. to do it because it had to have been done by a sophisticated military operation. Right. And basically, the bottom line is the same people that have caused the world to shut down for COVID, the same people pushing CBDCs, the same people, you know, pushing the vaccines and the pharmaceutical and the the sort of big tech government censorship mm-hmm. alliances are the same people that blew up the pipelines. Yeah. Luongo's analysis is interesting because he has identified factions like he thinks there's the uh, US UK establishment and then a Europe establishment which he calls Davos and then the Russians and then the Chinese. Mm-hmm. So he, I I don't know. I mean I like I like it in some in some of his stuff I've been like, "Yeah, not sure, but right. But uh he's got some really he's a sharp guy and he he's got some really interesting analysis there which I think is is uh useful. And, so, and the idea of factions is is got to be accurate. I think there are factions. This question is who's who, right? Where where, where are the lines really drawn? Yeah, and, and and the wars that are being fought are starting now, or and are going to be fought. I think are, are these faction wars, and we're just the sad people that are going to be caught in the middle, meaning the the citizens of the world, the the regular people. Mm-hmm. We're just going to be the cannon fodder. And the, yeah, uh, this guy named uh, Martin Armstrong. I think we've le- linked to him. He's made some really good points. On he blogs a lot on this subject. I saw so a link to Martin's um, uh, blog here on the podcast page. But he's like, look, every this is always caused by world leaders who are irresponsible, incompetent, uh, egotistical, whatever. They get us into these wars, and at the end of the day, you know, they'll basically, they basically, he, he quoted a guy named Goring, I think. I can't remember who that is. I think it's a German um, who was saying that it's easy to manipulate the people into war. All you do is got to, you, you just push them hard enough, and then they'll go to war, and then you call the people who are uh, opposed to the war anti-patriotic. And yeah, then you, we've you seen get that. All. It, that always We're happens. seeing that right now. With, yeah. You don't stand with Ukraine, then you stand with the devil. Yeah. And, and his point lately on some of his blog posts has been just, Hey, um, really in times like this, the, the little guys like us, the main thing for us is we just need to be able to survive and get home, <laughs> right? you know, and, and who's, who's on which side, it doesn't matter which side you're on. It's, it's just survival for the little guys. And hopefully you can make it through <clears throat> and, uh, have some sort of a life on the other side of it. It's come to light too that there's been more, more and more of these um, sort of uh, little think tanks and and groups are collaborated with big tech. They're basically middlemen between the the government and big tech, being paid paid money, lots yeah. of money to, to censor, censor to censorship, yeah. uh, censor different ideas, especially during the 2020 election. A lot of this stuff's coming to light. It makes me kind of wonder, again, the fundamental questions like who, why, why now? Yeah. But they're going to do it again. They're even announcing, yeah, we're, we're excited to get to work for the 2022 midterms to f- combat misinformation and disinformation. And But people aren't buying it. You know, you look on the Twitter comments, which again is a take it for what it's worth, but in the comments, they're nine out of 10 are, 
you're evil. Stop censoring people. You're the bad guys type of comments. <laughs> Whereas like two years ago, it might've been, you know, the, the ratio might've been flipped to, you know, you're doing God's work. Keep it up. We must stop Trump, blah, blah, blah. More and more people are starting to wake up to the idea that there's nefarious forces that are collaborating with everybody, every institution on the planet, right? Which is censor, why they're going to bring to us control, to manipulate. Yeah, which is why they got to bring us to war because they're <clears throat> losing the narrative. This that's what our whole show is about. The Mind Virus podcast. It's about narrative. It's about mind control. And once they lose that, your last option is destruction. You've got to you've got to create a diversion. Beyond politics. Beyond politics, yeah. So buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, so uh, let, <coughs> one, one more. Uh, <clears throat> let's, let's do another TBM comment here because he asks an interesting question, which is more lighthearted, I think. Suppose Amazon gave you, Bobby Flood, $500 million to make a TV show. What would you make and what story would you tell? I'd probably take half a billion dollars and create a really poorly executed, watered-down version of uh, Lord of the Rings prequel. <laughs> if you were Amazon. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. They already did that. So I, heard, I, from one, I that, heard from one of my friends it wasn't so bad. Have you watched it? I've not gotten around to it. I've, I've seen anything from, ah, it's okay, or, oh, it looks really good, to This is the worst thing ever. So I, Okay, so it wasn't, the reviews weren't, shining enough but to, I, I assume that's what tbm is referring to because the, the budget for that i don't know i did i had no idea was i think it was 500 million to for that tv show maybe that is what he's referring to tbm you'll have to let us know do you um do you want to respond to that if it were an honest question yeah yeah do you want to go first well, I don't, I don't think I have any good ideas here. I bet you have some really good ideas I mean, there, about what, like your imagination. 500 million is a lot. Okay, but you, that, what, I think that what, what that means is you have a blank check to, do, right. to really do something well. What story would you tell? Uh, there's probably a few of them, <clears throat> a few that like, stand out. From the, the Mormon in me, yes, the Mormon, the would, would love to see... Who, who was... Who was it that was the right one? You remember the South Park episode? Yeah. Who were the right ones? We want to know. Uh, the correct answer was Mormons. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay, I could see that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> South it's, Park. It's, it's the hell coordinator telling him all that. <laughs> Hello, I'm your hell coordinator. I'm Peter. I'm your South hell coordinator. South Park did an entire episode on the restoration with the kind of a, as a musical and the, the, the little... Joseph Smith? Yeah. Oh, and really? the little, like, uh, I don't know what the musical term is, but the little chorus or whatever is, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> They're not kind, but it's still funny. <laughs> I thought it was, they get just enough right to, you're like, well, they, they've obviously done their homework. Somebody, I don't know if it's Trey Parker, isn't he that one of the founders of? I really don't know a lot about uh, South Park. Somebody high up in that organization that, TV show, series has had some defect, exposure. Defector. They've had some exposure to, to Mormonism they for sure. They got asylum in the Hollywood crowd. Maybe. Or they had, I think they had, I think I read a comment once that they had a friend, a good friend growing up was LDS or something, mm -hmm. but they have a few little pokes and jabs and I, I always think they're funny. I don't take them too seriously, but we deserve a lot of it. <laughs> true. But I, I think I, Getting back to the question, I, somebody with good storytelling, 
skills and not trying to do a correlated church-sponsored project should do the Joseph Smith story. Yeah. I think that would be a really good film. They tried the Book of Mormon a few times. Yeah, the the one that made it to theaters was so, so bad. It was I didn't see so it. bad. Like, it was... It set it set the Book of Mormon back ten thousand years. Like it might <laughs> yeah. bury that thing back into the earth and let's retranslate let's rediscover it. Rediscover this. You, you, oh, it's a different book. Yeah, please. It was so bad. Um, oh, too bad. But I think I don't know. Lately, I've been on like a Western and Mountain Man kick. Like a great. There's not very many. Would you write the story then? You're the writer of this five hundred million dollar epic. Uh, I, I would probably for five hundred million. I could go get the writers I wanted to make sure like, <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but if this is just for me, like, I think that'd be really fun. I've been like this. There's, there hasn't been any great mountain man movies for a while. You what had about that Leonardo DiCaprio. You had the Revenant. Did you see that? I never saw it. I, I have. It's, it's okay. It's pretty good. Now there's a book. There's a book that that's based on. And they, they of course take a lot of liberties, but it's the Hugh Glass story, right? And Hugh Glass, was a was a real person, allegedly. Okay, <laughs> one of these mountain men, and and uh, that one's pretty good. But I would, I think that they could, we could do better. You, would you recommend that movie? I've run across it every once in a while. Um, yeah, it's okay. I, I'd recommend reading the book first. Oh, okay. There's some good mountain man books out there. The Crow Killer, The Revenant. Um, so I just had an idea. <clears throat> What what if we did like a Book of Mormon movie but set it in space? You mean like uh, Battlestar Galactica? Oh, dang. <laughs> Deja Fe. Already done. <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of like great stories. I guess the question would be, would you try to come up with something original or would you take something that already exists like a book or, okay, well, I would and turn it into, into I would a movie. like to see somebody give uh, Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings treatment to the Chronicles of Prydain. I'd love to see that t- story. That would told. be a good one. I'm surprised someone hasn't. Well, they've tried a couple of times. I'm not sure who has the rights to it. Like there was a Disney animated yeah, series, I remember that, that. Was, or not animated series, but it was a, like a they did the Black Cauldron and they uh-huh. wrecked it. Right. They absolutely killed it. Meaning. Killed, could, killed it deader than dead is dead, never that, to be seen again. That, that, that would be a really good candidate. I mean, there's lots of books, right? Lots of... There's a book called uh, Big Sky, getting back to Mountain Man themes. And back in like the 40s, I think, they tried... Or the 50s, they tried to make that. It has a huge, like, big-time Hollywood cast. But movies back then were so melodramatic, right? Yeah. I've never seen this movie, but the trailer's like eight minutes long, and it made me not want to watch the movie and ruin the book, because I really, really like the book. Again, that was what movie? That's The Big Sky. The and big, it's a big the sky. Big Sky? It's just Big Sky, and it's a trilogy of books. Big Sky, Westward Ho, and this something land. I, I might have got the order wrong. We've this talked about it before. It's, it's, it's A.B. Guthrie's. Oh, okay. He wrote those in the, I don't know when he wrote them, the 1940s You have read far more of the mountain man genre than I have. Well, I like it. Genre. I like it. Yeah. No, I think, I think a Book of Mormon set in space adaptation could be pretty good. Because, see, Battlestar Galactica, they never get to the promised land. Right. Well, and just a Book of Mormon 
story. I think the key to that, because the Book of Mormon kind of has one kind of major thread, through thread of of story, right? What's that? Well, Because I have the, an opinion on this. Go ahead. Well, it's the story of Nephi, or let's start with Lehi and his descendants for the next thousand years. But in the midst of all that, there's tons of great subplots. What would you say the overriding theme of that book is? The Book of Mormon. Like the narrative theme? Well, yeah, you could call it the narrative theme, or, or, or what? what is it that the writers really want you to get out of that? What? Well, the overall theme is is come unto Christ, be humble. Okay. I, I mean, from a, like a doctrinal standpoint, I think that a more narrative kind of oriented... See, I wouldn't have said it that way. And I think that the, the over, I think the overall theme is you have been cut off. I think it's almost Plato's allegory of the cave. You have been uh-huh. cut off from the living world. And so when they say come unto Christ, they mean... Wake up out of the matrix. Right. They're, they get that's specific. What I think, they I th- get that's specific what I think those prophets it. are saying. And so that's where I, I would say it's, it's, far more, it's a far more dire situation than we paint it in our cultural circles. Well, right, right. You know? No, because, it, I mean, in that book you have wars, you have political uh, chess matches, you have false flag attacks, mm-hmm. you have terrorist groups, you yeah. have zealot groups, you have, you have... And what are they all fighting over? Probably they're fighting over power and influence over the plebs like the us. The right to rule, right? <clears throat> right. And, and how do you rule? You rule by narrative. And so that's, I think if you look at the first chapter, you'll see that, um, or the first book of Nephi, you see that the struggle between the brothers was the right to rule and teach. Teaching and ruling right. is always who conflated. Is this, our who is little gets, who, brother yeah. who should rule over us? He, he doth afflict us with his words. It's uh, the, the, the teaching, the, say, the, the saying of the narrative, the authoritative narrative, I think, and it, and it comes out in places like Amaron's letter to Moroni. Like, who are you that gets to say mm-hmm. what happened? Here's my version of the history. We're the ones that have the right to say this stuff. So if you were going to make the, if you were going to take the Book of Mormon material and turn it into a movie, I don't think you start at the beginning. I don't think you even have to follow the... Right. I think you take... You make it an allegory. If you're going to make... Let's say you've got enough money for a trilogy. You take... These trilogies wouldn't... This trilogy wouldn't have to be like Lord of the Rings where it picks up right where the previous one left off. You could pick three major events... Oh yeah, because what what was what you would need to do? You like like isn't the problem with people trying to tell the whole story? You can't right, tell and, the story. You have to you have to do what the guys in the chosen did, and you have to fictionalize it, but hit well, the allegorical high points. Well, and kind of if we're as we learn watching some of this play out on the medium size screen, <laughs> like the story of leaving Jerusalem and walking across the desert doesn't make for great cinema. It's just kind of, it's kind of linear. It could, if the filmmakers would be willing to editorialize a little bit more than we've seen, either in church-produced things or elsewhere. But it's just like, okay, here's some certain things that happen, right? And you don't get a lot of, in the text itself, you don't get a ton of character development. Like, we know that the, the boys got married, 
but about the love story? Right. What, there's a great. There what could about be the love triangle. There could be a great love story. Maybe there. That's why Layman's upset. Is because Nephi, he didn't get the wife he wanted. <laughs> they I've all always. Want, they all wanted Nephi. You wanted Nephi too. Since I was six years old, I've had a crush on Ishmael's daughter. Maybe and you. <laughs> maybe it was Sam that was the good-looking brother. Like they all were going after Sam. Like what? Sam is handsome Rob from the Italian job. <laughs> So, but J- I Jason th- Statham plays <laughs> Sam. He's too old. Okay, well, yeah, he is now. What if we just deep fake all these guys for our movie? Yeah, well, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think a deep fake is going to start a major world war. <laughs> Could possibly. But the 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 from from again storytelling wise, I think the most intriguing parts of the Book of Mormon are like, you know the last hundred or so years leading up to the coming of Christ and then the couple hundred years after that. And then, of course, the end. The end is quite dramatic. So it's sort of a Mel Gibson apocalypto, right? Yeah. (laughs) I was doing some, I was actually involved. Moroni running for his life. (laughs) I was involved with a Book of Mormon project that never got beyond the research Tell us about that. of a Book of Mormon narrative film, right? And so, so we, it was we, supposed to be historical, a, a historical depiction, uh, but but a narrative, like a, a movie, a, a major movie, like the Chosen, like they're going to do a right. His, we kind of honestly account? got a little bit derailed by the one that came out because oh, it really, kind of made stole every, your thunder. Well, it made everybody think that you could never tell this. It could story. never be done. Mm-hmm. And anyway. Well, that's why I think you we, have to do it. We went and watched Apocalypto in the theater at that time, and that that movie was kind of a letdown. Um, it was cool, but I it think was, I've only seen the second half of it, and all that's happening is there's a guy running for his life. Guy's running for his life, and there's lots of blood and sacrifice, and it was kind of like, well, Mel, you you kind of scratched at the surface. Like it would have been cool to delve into that culture a little bit deeper, and. And figure out, you know, and maybe I need to go see it again, but figure out why, you know, just who these people were a little bit more. What's our problem? We have to have either too much blood and guts and CGI, which is the uh, PG-13 version of it, right? Like there's action for the sake of action and there's (laughs) drama for the sake of drama now, but there's not really any good drama action anymore. Right. So so what do you mean by allegory? You, You keep saying that. So you make the Book of Mormon film allegorical. What do you mean by or, that? Or is that the right right word? Well, the Book of Mormon is is the books the small book of Nephi, the small plates of Nephi. Excuse me. They are very allegorical. I mean, the way I see it, he wrote those many years later. I think that's a step you can establish that from the text. Mm-hmm. And so he put into his story elements that tell a different story than what the narrative seems to be telling. For example. You may have noticed that there's an exodus in a, there's an exodus there. There, it's very similar to the Jews exit or the Israelites. Excuse me. That's one more thing I have with traditional Christianity. It's like everybody thinks that the Jews are the house of Israel. They are one twelfth of the house right. of Israel, guys. Right. Okay. And we put all kinds of weight into Jewish practices and what's going on as if somehow they're quote the chosen. <laughs> right. Okay. The house of Israel. Is the house and it's all over the world. Anyway, there's a lot of stories to be told there. But okay, so Nephi, he puts into his account 
uh, an allegory, and we have a huge tip-off that the Nephites were understanding it this way in, in, in Alma chapter 37, because Alma's telling his son, Helaman, about the, the secret combinations. By the way, if we did an allegory, we, couldn't, we can't touch the secret combinations. Nobody likes that stuff. <laughs> no, nobody believes. Well, I guess we could do it in a movie, right? Those ended. Yeah, those, they got rid of all those. And there's nothing intriguing or interesting about that. Mm-mm. Okay, so in Alma chapter 37, Helaman is receiving instruction from Alma, his father, and he's talking about the Liahona, and he says, isn't this a, isn't this a type and a shadow, a symbol? And uh, he's, he likens it to the words of Christ and says, you know, just like our fathers followed the ball and the director, can't we follow the words of Christ uh, beyond this veil of tears into a far better land of promise? And so it, it's, a, it's a huge tip-off that they thought allegorically and symbolically. And so when Nephi puts together his record, he includes very specific elements to tell us something additional to his narrative, which is that they were in a land that was corrupt, right? Just like the, the Israelites who were in Egypt, which had become corrupt and apostate. It had no, no longer had redeeming value that God wanted his people there. And so he says, leave. And they leave. And what do they do when they leave? They cross the waters. And then they wander in the wilderness. And then they cross waters again, right? So in the Exodus account, uh, the first waters they cross are the Red Sea. And then they get to the wilderness and they wander for 40 years, which is a very symbolic number. It's uh, typical of a cycle. Remember, Noah's reign was for 40 days. We don't know if they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years specifically or not, but a lot of, a lot of literalists would say, oh, it was 40 years, you know? Could have been 40 years. It could have been 100 years. <laughs> it could have right. been 27 years. We don't know exactly. It just says 40 years because that's a, uh, an ancient way to tell that this is this happened in a cyclical format eight years is what um nephi says they were they were in the wilderness till they got to the land bountiful which is interesting because i believe that odysseus there's a there's a period in the in the odyssey where odysseus is uh i think he's at calypso's uh island for eight years most of most of the action takes place within like a an eight or nine year period. I got to go check on that. And that distance, if they went from Jerusalem down to the end of the Arabian Peninsula, you could cover that in much faster Months, than eight right? years. Yeah. So especially with camels, they most likely were camping along the way. Even there's one theory that they may have they'd have to cross a lot of different tribal lands, mm-hmm. and so that they would. They would negotiate in order to cross the land. They would indenture themselves for a year or six months, work the land or trade mm-hmm. or whatever, and slowly work their way down. Possibly, it's a theory. But what? But is the point uh, the technical logistics, or is there a, a symbolic number there? Right. I don't know. I'm right. just throwing that out. Could there. be both. Could be. Anyway, they but they crossed waters before they entered the wilderness. They crossed the river Laman. Mm-hmm. In the Valley Lemuel. It was the River Layman in the Valley Lemuel. Did I get that right? Pretty sure. Yeah, there's a, in, in, there's a moment in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf is riding the horse. What's the horse's name? Something. Fox, Shadowfax. Shadowfax. And he's got 
Shadow He's got machine. Mary sitting on, on his lap right there. And he tells him, you've just crossed the river such and such into the land of Gondor. Mm. And that's significant because Mary ends up, you know, kind of his adventure takes place right. in Gondor. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, crossing rivers. I mean, in, in the narrative structure, you have thresholds. Yeah, these thresholds that you cross, and the oftentimes thresholds have guardians, threshold guardians of some yeah. kind. Whether it's a myth, some kind of beast, a monster, a quiz, a riddle, or just water itself. Well, no, but but like in the Nephi story, the first threshold was guarded by some interesting things. First of all, Nephi and his brothers. So they left. They left Jerusalem, and then Nephi and his brothers had to go back. They had to keep going back. They had to go back and get the plates and, and wives. And had to get wives. They had to go back a second time and get wives, right? And they still couldn't cross until they got the guardian or the threshold solved, which was they received the Liahona, which is a type right. for what? That's, that's, a, that's a big debate. I think it's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, uh, so they've got uh, Holy Spirit and baptism almost represented here because they crossed the waters. And crossing, crossing that river would have been sort of the point of no return yeah because you, you leave that behind and in front of you is a hostile wilderness wilderness full of potential enemies mm-hmm. starvation you know all of the all of the problems with traveling through the wilderness during primitive times right the, the next threshold then being the big waters <laughs> the, the great ocean. waters and what did they what was their guardian there they had to build a boat there was a, a an interaction right a very dramatic <clears throat> happening there that leads to them being able to build a boat, boat and then take the journey. By the way, it sounds like Rings of Power. That's the the Lord of the Rings series yeah. from Amazon. It could cost as much as a billion dollars just for this first season. One billion dollars. Production and marketing. I'd heard it was very, very, very expensive. And they're not getting a great... The, the dollar to... Storytelling ratio maybe is a little off, or storytelling quality. Yeah, isn't that the Netflix Amazon way? Is that you're just spending inordinate amounts of money just to get content in the hopes that somehow you'll you'll hit on something like Stranger Things that'll keep people. Yeah, and honestly, like like Amazon seems to be swinging and missing on some of these. Some of these originals. Every, the, the, the race right now is the, you know, the originals. Remember, Netflix used to just be a place to rent DVDs. Oh, yeah. And then they started creating their own content. And now every studio's got a streaming service, and they're all trying to make their own content. Well, they've, they've paid a ton of money to high-profile actors to try and get them in, but then they, they bonk on the stories. I mean, like, like storytelling, they have, they have all the elements except for the stories. Storytelling is not easy. It's hard to tell a good story. It's even harder when you insist on checking all of these. The woke boxes? Diversity boxes and woke boxes and make sure that, you know. Yeah, where's, our, where's a recent <clears throat> good love story? Where's our epic love story? What was the last good love story that you saw where it was like you cheered for him and. Yeah, I don't was know. Was it. Um, uh, Hitch <laughs> with uh, what's his name from Mall Cop and what's his name from I Am Legend. Well, it's Will, Will Smith and um, Kevin James. Kevin James. Okay. 
I like Kevin James. Kevin James is pretty good. During the shutdowns, the COVID shutdowns, he, saw some of the stuff he was he making these bizarre little short movies on YouTube, and they were great. Yeah. They were really great. But storytelling, story t- you can't just throw money at it and expect the story to be good. What makes stories good? Well, number one is characters that we like. Good archetypes. And, and those characters go on some kind of a journey of personal progress right well pe- people i think there's some sort of a thought out there that uh you you've got to be creative so you have to break the archetypes and do something different you can be creative and still have the resonant <clears throat> story there right like there's a struggle between some force of darkness and some some light you know that's <clears throat> over, where, that overcoming is a big deal where you can get creative is the setting right whether you know you said like book of mormon in space or you know, you have the space. That's what George Lucas did. That was kind of a, a breakthrough with the original Star Wars was he created a mm-hmm. space opera, a Western yeah. in space. Yeah. And everyone laughed at it and said, this will never work. He b- b- knocked it out of the park. But it did work. So it Why? Why did it work? It, it didn't it. work because it had cool special effects. The special effects were kind of cool, especially for 1977. Yeah. But it worked because everybody fell in love with Luke, Leia, and Han, and Chewbacca. Yeah. That's why it worked. And Darth Vader. He was a great villain. Well, yeah. That, you've got to have a great villain. And Vader was great, and he's mysterious. And Luke and Leia and Han were lovable characters. And it's, and it's very uh, youthful. The whole, <clears throat> the whole story is very juvenile. Right, right, and I use that in the juvenile literature sense, not in a derisive sense. But that's sense. why I mean, that's why we love Harry Potter because we love Harry Potter, the character. We love Ron and Hermione, and and uh, you know, right? All they're the real rest. people. <laughs> they're real people. They don't get caught in the trash compactor, but <laughs> they do get caught falling down into the nest of. Uh, the vines and, and, you know, going through their yeah. little underworld experience in the first. Right. So, yeah, that's the big problem right now is that these studios and, and everybody, they're trying to click boxes, check boxes, make sure that our cast is uh, uh, diverse enough to, you know, to not get canceled. But they're sacrificing. It's one thing. Okay, fine. Do that. No one really cares if you have two black people and three white people and two Asians in your cast. If the characters are likable and the story's well told, we don't care. We don't care what they look like. Now we do care if the costuming maybe is bad, but well, you got to have convincing villains. the The actors have to be able to deliver the lines. The lines have to be written well enough that the the story arc has to be plausible in some way. Right. It's like She Hulk is is bombing right now because it's just it's just trying to be a, 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 an activist film. Rather than like, just a good story. One, one, of the, one of the really surprising movies I saw in the last 20 years that I did not think I would like was Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, it's so amazing because they did a great job on their special effects. Their characters were believable enough. And they just started out with a, a, a quick little introduction that explains what you have to believe to understand the story. Right. And they say basically this. An interdimensional rift opened up in the bottom of the ocean and Godzilla-like monsters started coming through it. So we had to build massive robots to fight them. Right. As long as you you accept that, 
It's awesome. It's a it's fun. It's one of the most incredible fun, movies out it's there. It's a fun action because, robot movie. Be, because you've got your bad guys and you've got your good guys. You've got your struggle between life and destruction. And you have a guy and a girl. And the girl is uh, not white. <laughs> and they fall in love, right? Yeah, but see, no one cares because they... Uh, you know they relate to the characters but they have to me- they have to meet the woman the man and the woman actually have to they they fight against each other at first but then they have to go into what they call the drift which means they have to share mental space their spiritual mental right uh space and then they can work together to defeat the evil ones. Is that the last epic love story was Pacific Rim? I mean, <laughs> Speaking of epic love stories, I think one that would be really awesome to take a bunch of money and throw at and, and to try, it'd be really challenging, but Adam and Eve. Nobody has there, is there an any Adam and Eve story? I know there's allegories and there's Adam the be- and Eve type okay. The movies. most amazing Adam and Eve story that I've seen was... Uh, Mark Twain's rendition of it. Have you ever read that? Uh, what's it called? Uh, something about Adam and Eve. Let me, let me look it up real quick. But I think like taking that would be pretty cool. Including it's, called the, the, it's called The Diaries of Adam and Eve. That's, uh, it's hilarious. I'll have to look it, it up. Is, and it's very touching. Right. It's very good. I, and, and you include the garden. You, you'd have to include the garden, the fall, and then the post-fall. Most of the movie would probably t- have to take place post-fall. There's a movie done about this. You just have to pay 10% of your income. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, just the very scratch of the surface, though. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 50 first dates. Is that an Adam and Eve allegory? Well, they all, they all kind of are Adam and Eve allegories, right? Because it's, it's about the epic love story. Right. But we often don't get... Well, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't think of any, like, big movies out there that are Adam and Eve. They tried Noah, remember, with Russell Crowe. I never saw that, did you? Yeah, very strongly typed, very, very symbolic. Right. And I thought it was interesting for a lot of reasons. I'm not... Remember, go read the first chapter of Enoch the Prophet by Hugh Nibley, where he says, the stories of the garden and the flood have done more damage to Christianity (laughs) than any others because they're nursery tales. What? Let's shift gears... What about non-religious stories that you would tell with a $500 million check? I, I mentioned They're some all of religious. the... They're well, all religious. I know, I know, but I'm saying... You know what I'm but, saying. Okay, well, yeah, I, I really do think... Okay, if, if I know all those big Hollywood producers out there that are listening. Do the Chronicles <laughs> of Prydain right. Just throw that out there again. I really like that story. But you got to do great, it right. A great coming-of-age story showing this young man, Taran, as he tries to discover his his noble lineage. Amazon tried to do Wheel of Time. Uh, isn't that so long that... I don't know how they're going to do it. In it, in it I, they may have even just canceled it because it fell flat on its face right out of the gates. Again, for some of the same reasons we've talked about. I King watched Arthur, the first couple episodes and it was so boring. Yeah, King Arthur has gone uh, through the, the mill. They've done that over and mm-hmm. over and over again. Did you get how I said that? King Arthur's gone through the mill. There's a few people out there that'll get what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> veiled reference to uh, DeSantiana's book, Hamlet's Mill. The Arthur story is a... Is a, um, a, a 
an ancient retelling. Uh, Hamlet's Mill is is uh, a reference to the fact that the uh, the Hamlet story, which is the Lion King story, mm-hmm. has been told over and over and over and over again throughout. Right. Um, for for millennia, and 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 it does relate to the Arthur story. Mm-hmm. Okay. In certain ways, it's it's told differently in the Arthur story. Uh, myth- mythology is a good one to draw from. Yeah, lots of mythology has been turned into movies yeah. in certain ways, but yeah, there's some cool ones. It'd be, I, I think that there you could do some stuff with American mythology, either Native American or even you know um, some of the some of the mythology that sort of comes from the Pilgrims and some of that, like. Orson Scott Card kind of he took the Joseph Smith story kind of mm-hmm. and some like early America mythology and, and created the Alvin Maker series. Mm. It's not as good as Ender, but it's interesting. Kind of. I don't think I I don't think I got through it all. Called Alvin Maker? Yeah. Is it historically set in that time frame? It, yeah, yeah. It's set in like the frontier America in, you know, Ohio. Or somewhere, but you know, it, but did, there's an element of magic to it. Yeah, and there should be. It's like a it's like a, an alternative reality. Does he follow the rules of magic? Not Brandon Sanderson's, I don't think. But those weren't established yet. <laughs> <laughs> but does he set up a good structure? He does. Yeah, like it's a cool. I think it's a really cool setting, like foundation setting, but not foundation his. He has another book called Foundations. It's a good, like, premise. I, I didn't love the execution of it. See, a lot of these are the same story with just a different setting, right? And, or, well, they're or, all they, the they, same. That's well, the they, whole well, monomyth, the monomyth idea. But they don't. But they're not the same story. But they kind of are. So, right. which, which makes this, which makes it doable. You can tell. You can well, tell a yeah, story. And what is that you story? Just need to learn the, you just need to learn the story. That first. That story is that. Uh, you take an unassuming person who's actually got more potential and and uh, capacity than they understand, and they have divine heritage or royal and heritage, and they didn't know that, but you tell them who they are, and they go on some kind of a discovery journey with adventure and peril and, and helpers, and in the end, they're enlightened, and they're able to share their knowledge with all of those around them. And that's why the coming-of-age stories are the greatest. Yeah. But you, you also have some other cool stories out there, like the discovery stories, like uh, Indiana Jones. That's not quite right. a coming of age, but it's a discovery thing. National treasure. Mm-hmm. He's got to go on a quest and discover. Yeah, and, and those elements are still all there, right? He's discovering greater knowledge about himself. And there's often in these... In, in, it's interesting, the two you mentioned both both feature a reunion with the father. Yeah, ultimately. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think this is a great discussion. The, I think there are more great stories to be told. And Disney has made tons and tons of money and, and spent a lot of time telling stories that have already been told. They've been retelling the same stories. Right. Right. See, it's hard. Like making a movie is hard because it costs a lot of money. But then just the logistics of it, the, the, the planning, the 
I mean, there's a reason why the credits roll for 20 minutes after a movie because a lot of people are involved. You know, they used to put the credits at the front. Yeah, at least the at least the above the line credits, like the director and the stars, and no, I mean like in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, they would put all the credits up front, and then it was the end and a Technicolor. Right, but but I don't think as many people worked on those movies back no, then either. No, those uh, were a lot. You know, those movies back then, some of them still really hold up, but they were basically they just filmed plays. Yeah, but some of them really hold up. I watched a oh, really yeah. great. I watched a really great movie d- that Disney did. Um, sort of Sean Connery's breakout, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Do you remember, remember that? Yes, that's really well done. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of those they hold. And why do they hold up? Because they're good stories. We'll, we humans are are willing to overlook cheesy. Uh, yeah, we were special we, we effects, all kinds of logic and disbelief. Bad for the set design. We'll overlook this stuff if we like the characters and the story. Yeah. Which is why so many people got upset when they went and took the original Star Wars trilogy and added in a bunch of sci- uh, uh, CGI and kind of modernized it. It's like, no, leave it alone. It was great. Just leave it alone. We don't need you to put little farting creatures in there, George, just because you can. Like, right. Leave it alone. Right. He also R- changed it to where Greedo shot first. <laughs> just leave it Did be. He? Yeah. Pretty sure. Well, and so now those original unedited had, versions are hard to find. Oh, they had to put the scene in where he solo steps on Jabba's tail on the way out. Yeah, Jabba the Hutt. What I read was he was a guy. Was originally cast as a guy. Yeah. For some reason they they cut that scene and they made him a, a blob, which is awesome. Like Jabba's sure, such sure, a cool <laughs> character. It's like this big turd that's a talking. Yeah, and, but then it's like, well, how do the Huts do anything? How do they can command? these empires when they can't even move off of their little platform yeah i don't know but they do it and it's cool and everyone just kind of goes along with it because sure because it's believe because it's okay because he well in the yeah. setting you worry for luke you luke's standing there in front of job of the hut and you're he you know he's in you luke's in danger yeah there's something powerful about the hut but we don't know what it is and that's okay it's like x-files before they started showing the aliens mm-hmm. it was amazing because it's all left to your imagination right and that your imagination will fill in the blanks way better than any uh cgi and that may be the problem with a lot of the movies these days is there's too much cgi they don't leave enough to the imagination well and also it's just a matter of like the spectacle of of it sometimes overshadows the storytelling and you can never you can it, the irony remember when the the prequels the star wars prequels came out and they were kind of going one-on-one with godzilla mm. in the box office and they ran these ads star wars ran all these ads it said like plot matters <laughs> plot matters <laughs> and it was like yes it does and yours is terrible. <laughs> but uh, well, but, I remember. But they're right. I remember plot, playing the plot, plot. Ra- the pod racing game, and or everybody was playing that. Right. We were all excited because Star Wars was back. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. I took a day off of work to go watch it, and you know, it's just like, well, George Lucas got caught up in 
the technical aspects. You know, it was one of the first major films to be filmed completely on digital cameras. And Mm -hmm. so much of that movie is just green screen. There was like behind the scenes videos of George Lucas, quote unquote, directing the film, just sitting in front of a monitor with a cup of coffee. It became like a meme. Mm -hmm. Like that's not film directing. Film directing, those directors are on their feet and they're involved and they're blocking the scenes and they're, you know, they're, it's work. And he's now just sitting in front of a monitor going, eh, man, try it again. He could not even, he doesn't even have to be there. <laughs> and I think George Lucas got very... Is that how we ended up with Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> yeah, I guess. George Lucas got very, I think, lazy, if that's the right word, with the, those prequels. It was all about the technology, and they kind of got better, the second and third ones. But again, like to take their own ad campaign... Plot matters, and you had a pretty cool plot. You had the origin story of Darth Vader and stuff's cool, but they just well, they kill this Darth Maul guy off right off the bat. Yeah, he was cool. They had they had a lot of um, bad a anti Jedi's General Grievous, <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, Dooku Count Dooku. Is that one? Yeah, of them? he was okay. Well, I mean that they they. They, they ne- we never got to really see how bad they were. They just came right. in and then got killed. Right. <laughs> right. They yeah, Christopher Lee had a little run there as uh, Dooku, and then he was, of course, Saruman the White yeah. in Lord of the Rings. He has that great, booming, authoritative voice. Yeah. Well, I like this question. <clears throat> and uh, apparently, you know, you, Dallas Jenkins... I think that's his name. He took his money and he made the story of Jesus. So he he got dibs on that. He that that's a pretty ambitious thing he did. Yeah, I wonder how many copycats there will be there. Be hard to copycat it. Oh yeah, for sure. But um I don't remember. I don't know what his budget was. Maybe that's one of the reasons we don't see the wives and the fleets of ships because that that costs more money. Yeah, ships would be quite expensive. They're fil- they're filming <clears throat> real ships, real water. There's not a ton of CGI. They're not doing the green screen garbage. There, there's probably some here and there, but there's not yeah. a ton. If you've seen it, you'd probably recognize. If you've seen the Chosen and you live on the Wasatch Front, you, you saw probably, the mountains. You yeah. probably recognize some of your own horizons and skyline. It was season two, right? That they season started two, using the churches set down in Goshen. Yep. I don't know where season three has been or is being filmed, but. Hmm. It works. It works. There's some similarities between you could tell Utah and Jerusalem. You could tell definitely in season two they had a bigger set. Like they were able to do the city, <clears throat> Jerusalem, yeah, and stuff. So that that was pretty cool. I, I again really like that for a lot of reasons. So yeah, there's. I mean, if you sit there and think about it, there's a lot of stories that would be fun to tell on the big screen. Whether original, you know, there's some ori- original ideas. If I tell you them, then they're not going to be original anymore. You can't say it on the Mind Virus show. You need to do them <laughs> first, and then you can tell them. But what, what are you? You're a movie guy. You're a filmmaker. Are you going to crowdsource, crowdfund a uh, one of these great ideas, one of these original ideas? Well, if I had the fun five hundred mil, I wouldn't need to do that. We have to crowdfund it. Well, TBM, are you providing the money? Maybe you provide a link to the money. <laughs> Five hundred million would be a lot to uh, raise via how much do you crowdfunding. Need? Well, it depends. Like on the, uh, you can make a really fun movie. I I think, and I might be needed to be fact checked on this, but 
I think Napoleon Dynamite was originally made for like $400,000. That's a lot of money still. But not in the movie world. Yeah. And you figure that movie made tens if not 100 million. I don't it made a lot of money. <laughs> so you don't you don't need you can nowadays with the technology, I mean, you can you can make a pretty good film for not a ton of money. Well, you know, probably well under a four hundred thousand, even. That's so, if you're not a people person, could you do it all with deep fakes? They have some pretty good cartoon, almost real, realistic stuff, right? I think it'd be really hard to make a full feature length film with all deep fakes. It's getting. You see more and more deep fakes in movies, like the newer Star Wars. We always come back to Star Wars, but like the young. You know, they had General Tarkin or somebody in there looking just like he did in the original trilogy. They, of course, brought Carrie Fisher in there as yeah, young, young you Carrie Fisher, tell, but also in post the Mandalorian, they had Luke Young. Yeah. But it's it's not... It's getting harder and harder to Yeah, but to those are still it, not quite believable. Right, because we know that it's deep fake. We also know them. Right. We know that the, a young Carrie Fisher is not real. Now, if they just created a... Yeah, but we also know young Carrie Fisher. That was sort right. of a lifeless Carrie Fisher but if or they, a lifeless Tarkin. If they made somebody that we didn't have a reference to, I think people would not even notice. Especially if it's just a small part. Uh, yeah, but I think the things that make, like you say, what makes Star Wars original, the original Star Wars great, is Carrie Fisher. Well, right. And Mark Hamill. But what I'm saying is deepfakes getting good enough that they could and start Harrison to Ford. fool. They could start to fool us. With are they getting that good? Oh yeah. Like they can give them that the, kind of life uh, and charisma. There's like, a like, deepfake of the Queen, the the late yeah, but Queen. That's not a hard. That's lifeless and not charismatic. Still though, <laughs> it fools a lot of people. It's pretty good. It's really, it's really good, actually. So that they made a, co- a few years ago. Did we just have a deep fake general conference? No, that was real. Probably. <laughs> no, I don't think there. But but save a lot of money, <laughs> would it? <laughs> the deep fakes are probably expensive. We don't need to save the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I like the question, uh, uh, TBM. That's a good question. So, listeners, if you've got something that you would like to do with basically a large or unlimited budget, what story would you tell? And bring us the budget. Yeah, well, on our Patreon, you can donate to the Bobby Flood Unlimited Budget Film Fund. It's there on the Patreon. (laughs) If you can find the Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) There's another... uh, Yeah, we could go on. There's one more I'll mention. Okay. And that's... uh, uh, a book called Fool, Fool's Progress by Edward Abbey. That's a fun book. Little kind of, um, he was mostly an essay writer, but he wrote, uh, he wrote a couple of novels and another one. And he I didn't think, like ranchers. I think they, I think they made, he wrote another book called The Brave Cowboy. And I think they made that into a movie, but under a different name. And now I can't remember. But I, I really like The Brave Cowboy is a, is a really great novel. It's this, it's, uh, you know, this cowboy, this old timer is stuck between the old time and the, the changing times, you know, the, the narrative, you you know, the, the, the modernization of the American West. 
So you as a storyteller and a uh, filmmaker. <laughs> who should, hasn't made a film in a long, should, long time. Should know from watching um, Toy Story that cowboys are out and spaceships and space aliens yeah. and space travelers are in. Yeah, cowboys are coming back though. You think so? Yeah, Yellowstone, this TV series, which I still have not seen, is bringing them back a little Me bit. Neither. This is uh, Kevin Costner, right? Yeah. There's this meme going around where people are like, after first season of watching Yellowstone, and they, they, they're like, oh, that was pretty cool. After second season of watching Yellowstone, they come out, and they're wearing jeans and like a flannel. They're like, <laughs> I like this show. After the third season, they've got like a cowboy hat on, and they're like, this is my favorite show ever. After the fourth season, they come out, and they're like, on a horse. kill them all. We're killing them. Yeah, it's like the progression into but I've heard it's quite <laughs> right. I've heard it's quite good. I haven't seen it yet. I'd like to, but I think Cowboys westerns might be coming back. They're on the rise. Maybe it's a great genre. Of I mean, you can tell great stories in that setting. What What did I say? What did I read somewhere? Every great western starts with a stranger arriving in town, or somebody leaving town something like that mm. I'm, I'm butchering it but i was like that's true <laughs> think about it, every great western you know you're in a small dusty town and somebody walks in the saloon and the piano stops yeah howdy stranger i'm looking for somebody wonders if maybe you'd seen him and the piano starts up everybody starts goes back to their <laughs> business i don't want to talk to this guy <laughs> Well, you should write it. <clears throat> yeah, there. I think there are there are few people who actually execute on their dream or their idea, their imagination, and write something or or produce it. And there are many of us that analyze them. Yeah, analyzing is a lot easier and, and a lot of fun. Writing stuff is hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Try to write. Here's a, here's a homework assignment. Maybe we should have a contest, <laughs> a short story contest. For the, in the comments section, post your short story. Or a link to it or something. But How long is this short story? How many words? A short story, I would say, for our purposes, would be under 5,000 words. Maybe that's even too long. Can I, can I even say anything under 5,000 words? No. <laughs> that's the, now, hold but, on a second. I've got to t could you read this book first before you read my story <laughs> so you can get the context for it? <laughs> Maybe under 3,000 words. 3,000? Dang. I don't know. Changing the rules. I shared, I shared, one, the rules of the, on I shared one of the short stories I wrote with you. I've, I've, I've never yeah, followed was, up on that. That was interesting. I need to refine it some, but I think that one's about 2,500 words, just for reference. 2,500 words? I, I thought it was great. Uh, it's a I Western. Even though I wouldn't have, have uh, put those characters in those places, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought it was a good take on it. Um, I got, I got to be less rigid on some of these things to be able to get a great story out because it doesn't have to be perfect. Like you've right. got to, you've got to, um, you've got to tell a story and you've got to take some risks and it's okay if it's not perfect, but you know, I think I did since I gave it to you, I think I made some adjustments to it, but it might be fun to have a mind virus listener 
short story contest. Okay. So if we do a short story contest, do we want to give them a topic or some sort of a goal or is it just any story? Because I think we should have at least some focus. I would say it'd have to be fiction. Okay. I don't want an essay. Yeah, of course. About, fiction. <laughs> about the compounds of nickel and... Okay, of course, that's a given. But yeah, okay. So since <laughs> since we're the Mind Virus show, we have to state the rules. We could the rules of the story contest: fiction, fiction. Let's say twenty five hundred words or less. No, let, let's give it a little leeway: three thousand words or okay. less. Do you, I don't want to? I don't want to lock people into a theme or something. But we could say, you know, I I used to participate in these twenty four hour film festivals where you would show up at like 9 a.m. on Friday, and they would, they would give you certain criteria. Like your film has to have the words, has to have this phrase in it. It has to have this prop in it, and they'd give everybody a little prop or something. And it has to have a theme of redemption or celebration or whatever. They'd give you a, a one-word theme, a, a line, and maybe a prop. And then you'd have 24 hours to completely finish your film. You'd show up at 9 a.m. the next day, and then we'd all watch them. It was, it was fun. We could do Sounds something fun. like that if you wanted to say... Should we do a film contest instead of a short story contest? I'm just kidding. That would be... That would be tough. That would be, that would be hard for people to pull off. But the reason I'm going down this road is like, try to write something. It's challenging to write something good, even a short story. Short stories can even be more challenging because you have fewer words to get your point across. Okay, so you're all committed. Everyone that's listening is committed to a 3,000-word short story. 3,000 words or less. Or less. Short story, short fiction story. What about the minimum number of words? Eh, I mean... Are we going to accept stories under 500 words? If it's... Yeah, I mean... Is it a good story? You can tell a good story under TBM 500 words. TBM submitted seven limericks. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, what's a story? Well, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The nice thing about short stories, you can drop people into the middle of something without a lot of world building and character building, and then you can yank them right out of it without any satisfying conclusion, but it's still a great short story. Should we have any sort of... Uh, uh, we can have a theme or... Like, yeah, like we could have a theme or we could say it has to be an allegory or you have to use... You have to try to be true to the archetypes. You can't be woke. I would say we come up with a just an overarching theme like reunion or love something or we just leave it cuz I think it'd be fun to see what people come up with What's at give stake a, here Give them some sort of a theme Okay the theme is <laughs> the Denver Broncos. <laughs> no, those are just sad stories. <laughs> the theme is reunion. Okay. Does that work for you? That's vague enough, and why, you can do a lot with that. You could be. It could be a story about going to a high school reunion. It could be about a reunion with a long lost friend. It could be about uh, a restaurant called Reunion. Labor struggles. With the, Reunion with the oligarchies, reunions, <laughs> organizing. Okay, so this okay. is this is happening. What, when's it due? Um, let's see. Today is October third. Should we give people a couple months to do this? 
Maybe, maybe they'll forget, they'll forget about it. We'll, we'll, we'll remind, we'll remind them. them. They listen every week. Okay. What's the prize t-shirt? Well, I think the prize needs to be that we read it on, on the podcast. We'll read the story and maybe even dramatize it with our voices. Hey, boss. Boss. Hey. You hear about that high school reunion that we just so, got invited to? So, so it's a reunion. <laughs> the winning story will be a story about um, all of the COVID conspirators led by Dr. Fauci <laughs> as they meet in secret Dr. to lick their wounds. Dr. Fauci walks into a saloon. Hey, I'm looking for someone. Oh, boy. Now do Andrew Cuomo pipes up. <laughs> You just get out of here. You don't belong here. This is where we bring the old peoples to die. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So we, we can totally do this. I think we should give people to the end of the year. That's a long time, Bobby Flood. Well, it takes a long time to write a short story if you don't do it very often. Okay. Or should we say okay. we give people Dude, till 12, 1231, 2022. That gives them October, November, December, three months. Are we eligible? It gives us three months to procrastinate. Oh, I'm totally going to write a story. Okay, I'll write one. Okay. And you know what? No, no promises that we're not going to like our own stories better than yours. <laughs> so work hard. So I mean, the Try hard, guys. Prize is we'll, we'll read the story and maybe analyze it. And on. maybe a t-shirt. And then we could probably come up with a t-shirt. Maybe. We'll make t-shirts that Bobby and I get <laughs> for your story. Oh, and we get to keep the rights. <laughs> no, we don't want your rights. You keep the rights and sell them for millions. Billions. And then you can fund the Mind Virus Podcast Patreon with your millions. Okay, okay. I like see, this idea. See. Yeah, this will be fun. Okay, a little contest. Little, it's going to be hard work. It, yeah, that's what kind of sparked the whole conversation of this contest is, have you ever tried to write something? It's difficult. That's right. We're going to judge this based on the completeness of your sources your format, whether you follow the Chicago style guide, all that stuff. I will Spelling. say this. Must be typed. Yeah. Even, how, and even how, though it's less than 3,000 words, it has to be double spaced. Maybe we should have, let's, should we have a universal way for them to submit it? Yeah, let me think on that. Maybe like, we'll, we'll you follow up on that. You guys can all save this on your local computers right now or on Google Drive. But if you save it on Google Drive, everyone else in the oligarchy, we'll see it. it. We want it in a PDF format somehow. Whether We're going to have you, we have have you just, mail us a PDF at, at some point. Okay. Not e yet. Email, right? They don't have to physically email or mail? No, the I, post think you can, I don't think you can actually mail a PDF. Actually, I would like that. Get a, <laughs> get a flash drive. Get us some extra flash drives. Some compact, fl not compact flash, uh, smart SD cards. You have to submit it on, a, on an iPad that you don't expect to get back. <laughs> Preferably a new one that we can uh, yeah. resell. <laughs> no, yeah, a PDF will be great. Yeah, we'll have you email a PDF. I will say this. Let's keep it PG-13-ish. No stealing stories from other people. Yeah, of course you're not going to plagiarize. Our audience wouldn't do that. I might. All right. I like this. Okay. Well, I like today's episode, and I have enjoyed not talking about all the crap that is going on in the world today. If you are not watching what's going on, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know when it's going to happen, but stuff's happening. 
Oh, it's happening. So uh, it's definitely happening. So again, I, I just want to leave everybody with a hey, be prepared, stay prepared, seek out the advice of the Lord because you're going to need it. Keep your head on a swivel. Yeah, that's a funny phrase because your head sort of swivels. Kind of, on, it's already kind of on a swivel. That's a, like a sports phrase, right? Yeah. Keep your head on a swivel out there playing defense. Yeah, no kidding. But not on a silver platter. No. <laughs> Don't keep your head Don't on a silver that. platter. There's a cool little scene in The Chosen where John's heading off to go heckle Herod. Yeah. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that yeah. that's the last time he's going to see you his cousin he knows, and yeah. he he fights back tears. I think that's a pretty neat little little scene. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody. We look forward to uh, your short story submissions. Yeah, and we you know we really do look forward to your comments and your comments. You know, it's nice. TBM, TBM, thank you for joining the conversation. Hey, TBM's comments TBM's led to alive here. a lot of conversation and also kind of sparked this idea that led to the idea of a contest, which we know that you're all super excited about. <laughs> right. Well, you aren't. You're not yet because you just you're not you haven't heard of it yet, but now you have. Right. Because <laughs> today's Monday and you probably won't hear this. No time loops. Tuesday. No, t- no time travel. Is that one of the rules? No um, time travel? If someone wants to try it. Okay. You can try it, but we'll, we might not finish your story. We might just throw it in the trash. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't set something in the past or the future. But time travel. T- if you solve the problem by time travel. Man, that's hard to do without being bad. Hey, well, like you just, we just know that we're warning you in advance. We're not going to say we're not going to accept your submission, but we're just <laughs> warning you that what are some other difficult pitfalls they should avoid? Well, you can't just, I mean, you can, but you probably want to avoid just literally waving a wand and fixing your character's problems. So if you're going to do magic, you're going to have to have rules for your magic. And you've well, only got 3,000 words to set that up. 3,001 um, is out. If you're over on the word count, out. Out. <laughs> Well, this will be fun. And listen, if you include on the PDF the name that you want us to read on the air. So if you don't want us to read your real name, create a pen name. Yeah, but give us your real name so we can um, give it to the authorities. <laughs> but if, if you do win, we may reach out to you so we can at least figure out how to get you the Maybe we should try to have them prize. on the podcast if they win. That, that'd be cool. They could read their own story. Yeah, but then what do they do the voices as well as we do? Oh, we got to do the voices. That's right. <laughs> well, as well as you do. I'm going to have to practice voices. You know what would be awesome? <laughs> and we're over-promising here and we're going to under-deliver. But you know what would be awesome is, you know, you remember those old radio dramas from like the 30s Oh, and yeah, 40s we could do the, the fo- do they call it Foley? The, um... we, could, we could do this in old radio drama style. What is it called when they do the sound effects? Foley. Is that Foley? That's okay. when like, if, if your like, character's clack, walking clack, across clack, the wood, clack, yeah, clack. that's still, people still do that. That's a, that's a highly paid skill in Hollywood. Huh. But that would be fun. We, hey, hey, dame, come over here. Let me talk to you. <laughs> oh, Jerry, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so we'll just be dropping the uh, sheets as we read them. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you can still get some of those. There's a Sirius XM, you know, the satellite radio has a channel devoted to those. I'm sure you could find them online too. Those old radio dramas. They're pretty bad, but there's sometimes that they're pretty good. It used to be the only thing. I know. There's a lot of sitcoms that are bad. There's a lot of <laughs> right. A lot of media that we're consuming right now. Well, all right. Thanks, everybody. This is exciting. We're, this will be fun. I hope. I hope we get lots of submissions. Keep telling yourself that this will be fun. Hey, this if we get fun. enough submissions, here's another overpromise, underdeliver. If we get enough submissions, maybe we throw them together into a downloadable book. You know, just where they're all compiled. Like we compile them all into the same PDF. Yeah. Wow. And then maybe you can download it. And uh, sort of like when a class, a grade school class, all writes something and then they, like a recipe. Yeah, draw a picture. Draw a cover picture for this. They all have their recipe and then and then they compile them all. And then for Christmas, your wife gets a recipe book from the third grade class. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> we better tie this up before I make more promises we won't keep. This is the Mind Virus Podcast. Find us on the web at mindvirus.show. I'm Jordan Bruno. And I'm Bobby Flood. Signing off. Have a great week. <laughs>